Welcome to Radar. This program can be heard at thevinyldistrict.com or anywhere fine podcasts are found. Here is your host, Evan Toth. It's an understatement to say that Kenny Loggins has achieved massive success in the entertainment industry. He's been on the Billboard Top 10 charts over 20 times and sold over 25 million records. Many of the songs he's created have become an important part of the musical fabric of a certain time and place in American history. All that aside, Kenny Loggins has had one of the most successful runs in history, creating pop songs for film, so much so that he's known in the industry as the Soundtrack King. Mr. Loggins celebrates his soundtrack kingdom by releasing a special vinyl compilation for 2021's Record Store Day. The album will be called At The Movies and, believe it or not, collects for the first time ever his greatest soundtrack hits on vinyl, including Footloose, Playing With The Boys, Danger Zone, and Nobody's Fool. Plus, it includes a newly recorded version of Playing With The Boys. Kenny and I discuss the new release and his need to purchase a turntable so he can hear it. But we go further. This industry legend gives valuable insight into how film music is different in today's climate. He shares some stories about the ones that got away and also describes the critical music magic that happened right in his own car. These days, it's hard to imagine the pre-internet impact and significance these blockbuster movies and songs had. While the films were all-encompassing cultural events, the soundtracks belonged to Kenny. Yeah, how are you, Mr. Loggins? All right, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. I'm glad we could do it. I want to start with some show and tell. As you can see, I have my records behind me, but I got uh, plenty yeah. of Kenny Loggins in the uh, in the archives here. Uh, and, I like your background. Thanks so much. Well, it's real. It's not It's not like a green screen or anything. I but know. I, and look at this. Caddyshack was such a big deal that they even put your face right up on the, on yeah. the front of it. Yeah, but ironically, that cut is not on a Kenny Loggins record until now, until this, finally, this. Uh, Which one? Caddyshack was only on the Caddyshack soundtrack, or I'm All Right is only on the Caddyshack soundtrack album. It was not on my own record. Right. Uh, you know, in the days of Clive Davis, that might have been still, I don't know, I don't know who allowed that to happen, but it definitely, my record sales. <laughs> I guess so. Well, uh, listen, first of all, I want to thank you for writing with the Bob James Celebrate Me Home because every holiday with my Polish mother-in-law loves that tune. And she always says, put on the Celebrate Me Home song. And and it's a great refresher from the usual holiday fair. So thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. So tell us about the new compilation of music. It's called At The Movies. And uh, tell us exactly what this what this is. What this is, is what's all that stuff behind you? It's a it's a vinyl album. Uh, a compilation of all the hits that I had from the different movies back in the eighties. And it, those have never all been put together on one record. And some of them have never been on any Kenny Loggins records like Footloose ironically never made it on a, on a solo record was only on the soundtrack album. And so was uh, uh, I'm all right. 
from Caddyshack. And I'm really, I'm really not sure about Danger Zone. Actually, I haven't looked it up. Well, and most of these albums were first released on vinyl or cassette and CD. Uh, but now, all these years later, you're reissuing them on vinyl. And uh, I remember seeing some of these, you know, when I see these as a kid, especially the film artwork all those years ago was so exciting to see all blown up in high detail. And it was almost like watching the movie in a, in a weird way. How does it feel going back all these years later to vinyl and having this be a part of the record store day thing? It's it's bizarre <laughs> to to come out with a uh, an LP after all this time and 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 to have a record store day when we don't even have a record store where I live. Right. It's like a lot of people will have to tr- travel for many miles to find a record store. So, but you know, I owe so much to the record stores and to the the technology of that era you know uh when Loggins and Messina first started out there was a new radio format called FM and we became the darlings of FM right off the top which really broke the act and um and so all that technology that we've somewhat left behind is is still valid and still and I'm still grateful for you ever go back to your do you still have any of the records you uh, collected throughout your career do you ever go back to them I don't think I even have a turntable, but but now that uh, now that I've got this uh, this little puppy in hand, you know, movies, da da. Oh, you got to check it out. Got to buy a got to buy a, a turntable now. There's <laughs> that 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 door to the abyss. Right, right. So music plays a huge role in the success of any film, and uh, you're known as the uh, king of the, king of the movie soundtrack. And so many of your tunes have been so integral to the overall feel and success of the films that they're associated with. Um, you know, you couldn't, you wouldn't want to experience Top Gun without Danger Zone and all that stuff. And some of these films depend on those songs so heavily. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the symbiotic relationship between those songs and the movies? How they work together? I think it's it's fantastic and in many ways unique to the era um, that songs were written specifically for those movies uh, and certain scenes in those movies. So they those songs then live integrally attached to that movie and vice versa. Like, you know, to uh, to imagine a remake of Footloose without the song Footloose or or could you imagine Top Gun without Danger Zone? Well, right that later and and it's uh uh that one one really enhances the other and i think the reason why these songs have lasted as long as they have is because the movies have does your business card by the way say king of the movies yeah no it's on my driver's license So take take me take us back to Caddyshack right before you got hooked up with the films. And of of course, I'm all right was the first tune that you placed in a film. As far as I know, am I am I right about that? You're right. So how did it kind of come about? How did that opportunity present itself to you? What did you think about that as a career move at the time? And well, I didn't really think about it as a career move. I didn't I didn't know if it would be or not. But so much of so much of what happened is synchronicity. Right. Just being in the right place at the right time. Uh, when Barbara Streisand was looking for material for her remake of Stars Born, her boyfriend at the time was John Peters. And so I met when when I answered that call, I met Barbara and John at the same time. And we all connected. I went to her house a couple of times and showed her beginnings of ideas and stuff. 
And in the process, I became friends with John. Then when Barbara and John broke up, John started his adventure into film production. And, um, and Caddyshack was, I believe, his first production uh, as John Peters. And he called me and said, would you come by and check out a, a private screening for what we have so far on Caddyshack? Right. And, uh, so I went into his studio on the way home one day, on the way home from L.A. to Santa Barbara. And I saw a rough cut, didn't have an ending, didn't have Ronnie Dangerfield. It didn't have any of the puppet in there, And uh, which John said, after we, I saw the screening, he said, those parts where it just shows the, the hole, the golf hole, said there'll be a puppet that comes up out of that hole and dances. And I thought, that's stupid. <laughs> and it, it turned out to be very wrong. I guess it was just the right IQ for what we were after. So how does it go, you know, especially back to Caddyshack, how does it go placing a, I mean, I guess it's always different with every film, but do the producers or directors approach you and say, like, we need this for a chase scene, or do you usually write the song from scratch, or do you use something that you maybe had kicking around and you say, hey, I, I this might be right here? It's a little of all of that. Um, with Caddyshack, I had a couple of ideas that were very, very scratch ideas. But the the one that fit I'm All Right, that idea came from watching the director's cut of the movie. And in the, in the, in the early cut, they don't have any real music. They have temp music, temporary. Right. And it's all what the director imagines that scene to be. And in the opening scene of Caddyshack, the character Danny, who is the lead character, is riding his bicycle through a suburban housing development. And what caught my ear was that the song that the director picked, or I should say probably John, picked for that scene was a Bob Dylan song. Mm. And I thought, well, this is really interesting to me because Dylan is like the rebel. He's the quintessential rebel. But this kid is just a straight kid riding a bicycle through a suburban thing. So I got that the director was trying to tell me that this boy was was a rebel or was going to become a rebel in the process of this movie. And so he wanted to establish that musically right at the beginning. So when I wrote, I'm all right, don't nobody worry about me, why are you to give me a fight? It was all pretty much, I am who I am. And didn't fit that scene literally, but I love that it foreshadowed the growth of the character. So in that case, I wrote directly to the scene. Whereas with Footloose, Dean and I wrote songs to the screenplay. And we didn't have a visual scene to work off of at all. We had the scenes we were imagining would be, uh, which is very different. It's the only time I've written to a screenplay. And with Danger Zone, that was a whole other story. That was watching a, a, a rough cut of Top Gun. And uh, there were a ton of other artists in the, in the private screening, other recording artists. And I saw the opening scene, and I knew that something important was going to have to go in the opening scene. But I figured... Everybody in this room is going to be writing for that scene. And when I saw the volleyball scene, I said, nobody's going to write for that scene. <laughs> so uh, Peter Wolf, the producer, and I were collaborating at the time. So I said, let's write for that scene. And then we know we're in the, in the soundtrack album. Right. So that's what we were after. I was in the studio recording, playing with the boys for that scene. And I got a call from Georgia Moroder's office saying, we need a singer and we need it yesterday. Right. And so I said, sure. I happened to be down the street. Perfect. You know, after you had uh, Caddyshack, you did Footloose. Uh, what was the, what was the buzz around your, your world? And, and of course you still had your solo career going on. 
And were you, you know, was it like, hey, this kid can really write a song for movies, you know? <laughs> I, I hope somebody said that somewhere. Yeah. I think with a big cigar, this kid oh, really yeah. can write some. Get me a young Kenny Loggins. Yeah. But <laughs> what was the, what, how did that, how did that change your uh, career or how you were writing or how you were creating? Um, not significantly at the time. What I didn't realize was that the movies would be an end run around disco. Mm. Disco was coming in really strong, replacing all the 70s acts. And very few managed to hold on during that period of time. Right. But by doing the songs for the movies, I, I didn't get sucked under. But the writing for a movie is different than writing for an album. When I write an album, it's more personal. It's stuff that's happening to me or through me or someone, uh, someone close to me that I can sort of empathetically write a song for that character. So it's more personal stuff. When you're writing for a character in a movie, you're obviously leaning on your own experience, but it's not as personal. You're, you're, you're writing about whatever is happening in that movie. Uh, Mike McDonald and I wrote a song called She's Dangerous uh, for a movie that, that the song never made it into the movie. Hmm. Uh, but but it, was about, it was about a woman who was actually a murderer. What, <laughs> what movie was that planned for? God, I'm trying to remember now. I, I, I don't remember what the movie was. I think it was a follow-up for... What, what was the girl... God, forgive me. I should know these things. The, the girl who was the lead in, in Top Gun. Uh, Kathy McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Whoops. Do I go lightning round now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, if I remember right, they cast her in a movie after that. And it was the movie after that that I was asked to write for. And then I thought we wrote a great song, but they didn't. And so they passed on it. And probably the only movie that passed on a movie song that I wrote. Interesting. And I have this question here. In fact, I was going to ask, was there a film or an almost that never really came to be? Is there either a soundtrack that you wished you were a part of, or was there a song that, you know, maybe ended up on one of your solo albums or something like that? But, but were there any close calls? Like, you know, how people talk about actors, well, uh, Eric Stoltz was going to be the Marty McFly character in Back to the Future or something like that, some kind of alternate reality. But was there, was there anything that was a close call? Oh yeah. I've got a good one for you on that. I got a call from, uh, Bruckheimer, Jerry Bruckheimer, to come in and see a rough cut of a movie he was working on that needed songs. And it was called Flashdance. Um, and I went in and I saw a rough cut on a little movieola screen and I wanted to write for it. But the timing of the, of the movie soundtrack and making the movie soundtrack hit right on top of a tour. And I didn't, I couldn't possibly write the song and go in the studio and do my tour at the same time on their time frame. So Cut to the first show of the tour. I'm in Salt Lake City, and we're, it's an arena, and um, they, they go dark on the arena so that I can get up on stage in the dark. Mm -hmm. And as I'm getting onto the stage, I cross across the stage, take one step too many, and fall off a 10-foot stage. And I turn backwards, I hit a packing case, and break three ribs. Ooh. So the tour is immediately canceled. And I'm sent home. And uh, as I recall, the, um, the Percocet or Percodan that they gave me worked really, really well. 
And the next thing I know, I'm calling Bruckheimer and saying, well, now that I'm home, I think I can work on that song. And um, I went in the studio. I wrote a song called No Dancing Allowed. And I uh, went in the studio and I was just a little too out of it. And uh, I cut the song in the wrong key and I couldn't hit the high notes in the chorus like an idiot. So at that point, I took it as a sign and I backed out. But that's the one that got away because it was it was a pretty good song. I never did finish it or record it. Probably just too uh, too angry at myself to go back and do that. But it might be fun to do it again someday. Obviously, I'm sure you've got a million different stories about stuff like this. But when you go through creating the music for some of these films over the years, you know, were producers or film folks, uh, you know, on you about what you're doing or, you know, in some of the production, particularly after, um, well, Footloose too. I mean, it, it's so tight and so, uh, you know, there's so much thought, you know, you're listening to these songs and, and you take it for granted now because we've all heard them 10 million times, but there's little sounds over here and a little, there, there's not one wasted nanosecond in those tunes. Um, but how much was it from the producers or the, the, the machine's point of view or the studio? You know, how much were they involved in your creative process? Often I, I would work with a, either a really gifted engineer like Umberto Gatica or uh, sometimes a co-producer. The sounds are, are really important. And I think the experience by that point in my career, the experience I'd had in the studio helped a lot. Um, I remixed Footloose with Umberto and because um, I just wasn't happy with the, the song sonic, sonically. And, um, and an interesting thing about that is that I, we were using cassettes back then for our rough mixes. And so you, you'd have whatever information you have on your tape every, at the end of every recording day, you, you do a quick rough mix and you take it out to the car because right. that's your ultimate listening room. Right. And, Every time I would play Footloose in my car, everybody loved it. But when I played it anywhere else, the response was, oh, that's, that's good. And I thought, okay, what the hell's happening? Why, does, why is it so popular in my car? And so I, I went and I put a, a, a tone on a cassette tape, a, a 440 tone on the cassette tape, took a, tu- took a tuning machine down to my car and it, Turned out that it was running at like 442 or 444 in my car. A little faster. It was running a little bit faster. So when we mixed the song, we tweaked it up to 444 or 144. And that became Footloose. And it makes such a huge difference that I did that trick to a number of different tunes where I would just tweak it up a little bit. The band gets a little tighter. The sounds are a little punchier. And, uh, and the, the groove is, is more um, compelling. Oh, that's fascinating. That's that's true. A little faster, a little little extra speed, a little bump in that tempo can really uh, make things. You barely notice it. I mean, you don't notice the change in the voice. No, not at that not at that tiny tiny bump. No. Have you ever had to re-record or rewrite anything as you're working through the stuff that, that you know they say you know we're not going to really do this uh, this thing or he's going to fall in love instead or could you change that last? Is there a lot of lot of uh, manipulating as it goes? through not so much uh, for the movies yeah no once once you deliver a demo if they like that song it's that song they want don't tinker with it after that yeah you just try to de- deliver a punchy mix and that's about all 
you're a big part of both the music industry and the film industry. How did those two worlds work together? What were the pros and cons of working in both fields simultaneously? Well, I always say that music is the bastard stepchild of movies. Mm. It's the very last thing they put in the movie. Right. Uh, and except for when I did Footloose, where we had the songs written and we could record them and they could actually dance to the actual song. That almost never happens. Yeah, it's it's amazing that they all got along as well as they did. I think because the producers and or in some cases, the directors were so such big music fans that they could relate. But if you notice when you when you watch a movie, where are the credits for the musicians? Where are the credits for the music at the end? Very, very, very end. Right. After most of the people have left the room. After the, that's the second, that's the second gaff uh, guy. Right. That's that, yeah. That after after the best boy, <laughs> and then I think craft services is below music though. I think the food service. Uh, I think no, you guys. No, it's it's the dubbing. The dubbing stage. <laughs> Wally Hyders gets last. Um, no, it it pretty much sums up the relationship that you're talking about. Movies and music is sort of like well, if we have to put music in this thing, uh, let's let's do this. I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. This project of yours made me reflect a little on the uh, blockbuster films of the 1980s, which is when I was a, a kid, uh, pre-internet, and uh, I feel a little fuddy-duddy saying it, but they really just don't make films, they don't make movies like this anymore, you know, big films that during the time, they weren't just popular, but they turned into like these cultural phenomenons, and, and your music was a huge part of the magnitude of those films, and it influenced it helped the film and the whole idea to sort of infiltrate other mediums beyond the silver screen. Did you kind of grasp the hugeness of that thing at the time? Because it doesn't really exist now. Well, not, I didn't grasp it in the way that you're describing, but the reason you have that impression is because rock and roll and movies had never been combined before. Right. So brand new idea. And, you know, up to that point you had Dimitri Tiomkin, and, you know, maybe Henry Mancino was as, Mancini was as hip as it got. Um, but rock and roll hadn't been combined. And, and it was kind of, you know, mind expanding to, to try to do that. I think that's what made it so exciting. And also the fact that we were literally writing for those movies in those scenes. And nowadays, they want to save money by pulling a track off of somebody, some unknown acts demo. It's something that already exists. Yeah, so it already exists, and, and music directors are hired in order to f try to find a song that fits as good as possible into the scene thereafter. And I think that's why it just doesn't have the impact that it used to have. Uh, a friend and I were talking the other day about how important it was after you saw a movie that you liked in the 80s and 90s that you, you had to run out and buy the soundtrack. Like, oh, did you see that? I got to go get the soundtrack. And, uh, you know, the soundtracks that we were, were discussing today, they were all monster hits in and of themselves, aside from the, the movie. Do you, do you think music and film has kind of taken a backseat? Uh, why do you, you know, the soundtrack the soundtrack album doesn't really fly anymore either, you know? I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's like what I was explaining, that the songs weren't really married to the movie. Right. You can hear that song without conjuring the movie. Uh, back in the old days, you know, God, no, we both sound like fuddy-duddies. Right. Back in the old days, you hear a song, it, it, and if it's an integral part of that movie, it will always conjure that movie to you. I mean, name, name one now that... I mean, and, and, and the pop songs that are written to be hit records 
are put over the credits. Right. You know, I'd write a pop song that connects to the the movie itself. Right. I've I've always I have a big soundtrack collection, and um, I'm always fascinated by. Sometimes you get the soundtrack and you go, "Where's that song in the movie?" Like I have no idea. And then there, you know, if you really focus on uh, the film, there's a tiny little bit, or it's in the background, but then it makes it to the whole album, which is cool because soundtracks used to function almost like a mixtape. It was like you'd find out about all these different artists and different styles, uh, and they were all on that that one one record. I think the closest closer thing we have to that now is television shows. Right. Some TV shows, uh, Stranger Things, I think, did it. I'm not sure. But, you know, there are TV shows that rely on a particular type of music. Like uh, we've been binging Billions, and they're definitely going for the moodier, darker stuff for that for that uh, TV show. And And so, you know, if you find yourself going, that's a great song, that's a great song, you don't have to write it down. You just, sooner or later, they're going to come with a with a playlist from – billions or whatever you have so many easily identifiable tunes in in your films is there a song or two that you feel just didn't quite that you really love that's sort of a a a pet favorite of yours that didn't quite get pushed into the spotlight from uh from any of these soundtracks i did mention uh she's dangerous right wrote michael and i did that as a duet but that you know uh, i worked with tommy dowd years ago and Tommy explained fame as a passing train and you're, you're on this passing train and the people that are not on the train are watching. And so for a moment, he, he called it in the window for a moment, you're in the window, right? People see you. And so Mike and I had this sort of period of time where we were in the window. Luckily it was what a fool believes and this is it heart to heart. And then, and then the train passed. And we wrote a couple of things that I think were really good, but the train was gone by then. And, and uh, so that, that song never really achieved any recognition or a song that but both of us released a singles called I Gotta Try that was just not noticed. And that's just the way it goes. That's the nature of fame in any business, but especially the record business. I think the old thing about five minutes of fame is extremely true right now. I got to ask you the, the Top Gun uh, redo. Well, it's not a redo, but the Top Gun uh, sequel, I guess. Or the- they're, they're making a sequel? Uh, something's, yeah, right. You, had you heard? I <laughs> <laughs> should put on this. Why don't are are they gonna have what's going on? Uh, would that would been that would have been an awesome uh, uh, you know full circle way to way to go. It, it may yet be. Uh, we are discussing that. Very cool. Well, good. I'm glad I asked. Well, Mr. Loggins, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, but I appreciate it so much. I'm a big fan. You're uh, an amazing, amazing talent, and I love listening to you whenever you come on the radio. I go, How, where is this guy getting his voice from? Where did that voice come from? I'm working on it. <laughs> I believe it's, it's a lot harder now than it used to be. Well, you sound great, Dan. I'm sure you sound great now, and uh, thanks so much for your time, and uh, be well, and good luck with the record. Thank you. Radar is produced by Evan Toth in partnership with WFDU 89.1 FM and The Vinyl District. You can hear Radar on WFDU 89.1 FM or anytime online at thevinyldistrict.com.